we're going to talk today, the title of the message is Ignorance in, and notice, notice the pause, Ignorance in Leaders, Spiritual Leaders. And I definitely put a pause there because you're going to see some leaders in the time of Jesus who were very ignorant. Stand with me for the reading of the word. Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. The wonderful word of our Lord. Do you get excited when you come to the word? And I'm not just saying this. You know, it's like something all of the preacher's going to say. I come to the word of God every morning. This morning I came and I read Jeremiah 17. I was in Psalm 80. I was in Matthew chapter 11. I was in 1 John chapter 4. I was in Proverbs chapter 7. I get in the morning, I get excited. I literally wake up, sometimes in the middle of the night, excited about coming to the Word of God and sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing the Holy Spirit speak into my heart. It's an exciting, exciting adventure. So the wonderful Word of God. Then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us, That if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying he left no offspring. And the second took her and he died. Nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as a wife. And Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But concerning the dead uh, that they rise... Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Heavenly Father, open up our hearts, Lord, our minds, our souls to your word. We sit at your feet, Jesus. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear your word. And Lord God, may you speak that living word into us, that it brings forth an abundance, Lord God, of fruit. 30, 60, 100 times what you'll sow in us today, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So what we have, this is the last week of Jesus. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been talking about this. This is the last week of Jesus on Monday. All right, I know you're going to say, well, it's, it's Palm Sunday. Well, no, if you look at the scriptures, it's really Palm Monday. Okay, again, church, the church through the centuries, they convolute a lot of things. But he entered into Jerusalem on Monday, people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On Tuesday, he went into the temple, and he threw out the money changers and the sacrifice sellers. Now, on Thursday, you have the Last Supper. On Friday, he hangs on the cross between 9 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon, and he finishes his work. On Sunday, he is raised from the dead. Now, what happened on Wednesday? As we began looking at last week, on Wednesday, right, he is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And according to the law of Moses, 
the lamb had to be examined to make sure it doesn't have any blemish, no mark, no weakness, no fault. And so what is happening on Wednesday is the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, the Passover lamb, is being examined by the priests for any flaw, for any weakness, for any blemish. So as we looked at last week, first came, right, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And they come to him and they ask him the question, should we pay taxes to Caesar, right? They're trying to trap Jesus as we looked at. Of course, Jesus, again, he he totally totally confounds them. And uh, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. Now, today, what we'll look at is the Sadducees come, right? Now, the Sadducees come thinking to themselves, well, the Pharisees failed. They hate the Pharisees. The Pharisees hate the Sadducees. So we will succeed and we will trap him. And then next week, we'll see right after the Sadducees, then the scribes came to bat. By the way, he struck out all three of them. End of the inning, it's over. Okay. They're trying to discredit him. They're trying to make him look like a fool. They're trying to bring him to a place where he'll be accused of sedition, and the Romans will crucify him. So first, let's look. Let's look here. We'll look at the Sadducees first. So in verses uh, 18 and 19, it says, Then some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Who are the Sadducees? The Sadducees are essentially, they are a religious political group they pretty much controlled the Sanhedrin. They are the majority in the Sanhedrin. There were some Pharisees and some scribes in the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, 70 elders of Israel. That's the ruling body. They controlled the temple. They were extremely powerful. They served Rome. They turned the temple, instead of being a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. They turned it into a bazaar. Uh, It was a money-making operation. You'd go in to pay your temple tax, and let's say your temple tax was $50, and you had to transfer from the Roman coins to the temple tax coin. It was, uh, the name of it was a Tranian. And so, let's say again it's $50. What they do, do is they charge you instead $100 to, you know, tr- transfer the money, you know, to it, to be able to buy that coin, to be able to offer it as a, a temple tax. When you'd come to the temple to offer up an animal, the animals had to be, according to the law, perfect. So what they would do is, outside you bought a lamb for $20 from Mon Pa, the Mon Pa farm right in, say, Bethany. So you bring the lamb, you're all excited to make the offering, the priest looks at it, and they would find something wrong with everyone. Then you had to buy it from the temple people who controlled the lambs and the sacrifices, and they would charge you $100 instead of $20 for it. So you see why Jesus is infuriated with what's going on in the temple. They were called Zedokites after a, a guy who they, uh, we look at, tradition says Zadok was the founder of the Sadducees, the Zedokites in the second century. Caiaphas was a Sadducee. Anas was also uh, a Sadducee, and he's the one who really ran the syndicate of the temple. So the day before, Tuesday, Jesus goes into the temple, 
And he cast out the money changers. He drove out the sacrifice sellers. And he really ticked off and enraged the Sadducees. Caiaphas, Anas, um, I mean, he's messing with their money. He's messing with their power. Now, what did they believe? So in Acts chapter 23, verse 8, it tells us here, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Two very diametrically you know, opposed okay, doctrines. So they do not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in life after death. They were annihilationists. They believe the body right, is a bunch of molecules, just matter. And when a person dies, basically, that's the end of life. They did not believe in the resurrection of the body. They did not believe in the, the inner spirit or inner soul, right? Man is just a blob of molecules. They did not believe in angels. And they only believed in the first five books of the Tanakh, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Okay, I want to show you this. Here's a, a, a good diagram. This is a, a diagram. This is the, the Hebrew Bible. Notice it's arranged a little different in the order than our Bibles. So all they believed in was, was Torah. And by the way, you get the word Tanakh. You go to a synagogue, you hear talk to a rabbi, they talk about Tanakh. Jesus used the word Tanakh. Okay, not Old Testament, Tanakh. And Tanakh comes from the first five books, Torah, the prophets. And notice again, the prophets include what we would call the history books, uh, the Nephim, Nebim, and then you have the Kethabim. And that's where we get, right, the, the basically you put it together, because an acronym of Tanakh. So they believed only in the first five books. They rejected the prophets. They rejected the writings. So their argument was that the resurrection passages do not occur in Torah. They said actually they believed that they actually didn't start until you got to the Psalms. So that was their argument for, again, not believing in the resurrection. Now, in verse uh, 12 through 19. Then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote, again, Moses, the author of the first five books, wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. So if a man dies, he's got a brother, his brother then marries the wife to continue on with essentially the lineage, the family name. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, 5 through 10, it's then explained to us in the law of Moses what this is. So I want to read it to you. If, a, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, and the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family, her husband's brother shall go in and take her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which he bears will succeed to the name of the dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel, and he will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall come, uh, call him, 
and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him and in the presence of the elders remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had uh, his sandal removed. Now, I I just want to ask you this. Where do we see that play out in the Bible? Two places. Come on, ladies, you've got to know this. Ruth, right? right? Ruth's, you know, it, you, you look at the story of Ruth, right? And her husband, her husband dies, and she doesn't have somebody to carry on the name. She goes back to Israel, and Boaz, what is Boaz called? What? He's the kinsman redeemer, right? And, and this, whole, this whole scenario plays out. With, who knows where the other place is where this happens? And it happens before the giving of the law in the book of Genesis, Onan. Onan. What, isn't that what you said? Onan. In Genesis chapter 38. And Onan's brother, in fact, God took Onan's brother out of the world for his evil. And then Onan had the responsibility to basically have relations with his wife, take her as his wife, and then bring forth. And by the way, if he had done that, that would have fit into the lineage of Jesus, Judah. Instead, he refused to. I won't get into details what he did, but um, it basically cost his life. He didn't carry it on. Now, I want to tell you, I just want to tell you one, one nice story. I went to school with a guy named Joe Tulin. And um, Joe and I, weren't, we weren't very close. We, we were from different crowds. And, but I gave my life to the Lord at 23. Joe gave his life to the Lord in his early 20s. And um, Joe died of cancer. When he, was, when he was sick, he was up at Holy Name Hospital, I went up and I visited him and I prayed with him. And, um, and then he, he died. And his wife, Nancy, called me up and said, Joe wants you to be one of the pallbearers in his funeral. And so I, I agreed to be a, a, a pallbearer. Got to know Nancy, uh, two little boys, beautiful little boys. And um, over the course of time, she started coming to the church. And Joe's brother, Pat, started coming to the church. And... Um, they decided that they would marry. So Joe's younger brother, Pat, married Nancy, right, who was uh, Joe's widow, and um, with two children, and then they had some additional children. I, I've lost track of them. I don't know where they are, but that, that is a, a Deuteronomy chapter 25 story. <laughs> a beautiful thing. So, um, again, simply here. The Sadducees, they do not believe in the resurrection, they only believe in the first five books, okay, of the uh, Tanakh. And they do not believe in angels. And they do not believe in the spirit life, life after death. So they come to Jesus. And I'm going to give you a word here that you thought you would probably never hear in church. It's not a bad word. Cockamamie. They come to Jesus with this cockamamie story. Let me give you a de- definition of inc- uh, the word cockamamie. There's such a word. Cockamamie means incredibly ridiculous. So they come to Jesus with this incredibly ridiculous cockamamie story. And again, they're looking to trap him. They're looking to make him look ignorant, to make him look stupid. They're, they're looking to make him look like a fool. And they're now going to use this story to their own advantage. Let's look at the story. 
verse 20 and 23. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife. After dying, he left no offspring. And the second took her, and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third, likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Right? What's a good word for that story? Cockamamie, right? Did I pick it right? Did I? Did I? Man, did I just hit the ball out of the park with, with the, I mean, hit the nail on the head with, with it, cockamamie. Right? By the way, you, you look at the story. The woman, right, she married the one guy, he died, and then her, her brother, and, and he died. And You've you got to think that something's going on. Was she just a bad cook? There's something, there's something going on here. And then when you get to the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh brothers, I think you've you got to think that, that maybe they should have been thinking this is a bad proposition to be getting into. <laughs> just a cockamamie question and story. And it arises from their ignorance. And it is ignorance in high places. Blind leaders. The blind leading the blind. When he was saying those words in Matthew 16, he was talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. It's true in 2,000 years of church history too. You have a lot of blind people leading the blind in churches. So, so Jesus here, right, he points out their ignorance. The Sadducees, again with this cockamamie story, which is ignorance. And you look at verse 24, and Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Now, mistaken is used in verse 27 as well, where he says, greatly mistaken. And it's an interesting word. The word is planio. We get the word planet from. The idea of, of a planet just that simply wanders, right? Planets, they, they wander through space. They're, they're not grounded. They're unstable. And not only do these leaders wander, they cause other people to wander, they cause other people to remove themselves from the revelation of God and from reality. Jude, verse 13, he described false teachers as wandering stars. You start to get in. You know, you get into, and I've spent a lot of time studying the cults. I've spent years studying Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons and Christian science. And you get into unity and all these. And just, again, that's what they, they're, they're, just, they're just wandering. They're, they're, not, they're not grounded in the scriptures. They just kind of make up things as they go along. They pick and choose what they want to focus on while they, while they neglect, neglect the rest. And Jesus here says, you don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. Now, you do not know the scriptures. That's why you're ignorant. Well, they, they rejected three quarters of the Tanakh, okay, to start with, and only focused on Torah, right? They rejected the Psalms and the prophets and the history books and Joshua and Judges and First and Second Samuel, you know, Chronicles, Kings. Sign of a cult. They subtract from the Word of God. The last chapter in the book of the Revelation, damned 
be you if you subtract from the word of God or add to it. We only believe in the first five books. We're rejecting all the rest. And by the way, that, that warning in Revelation chapter 20, 22 occurs throughout, in fact, the Torah. It's, it, the, the warning is there. The warning of subtracting from the word of God. So they reject the rest and they only accept the first five. Now, we don't believe in angels. I'm just going to focus on this. We don't believe in angels. So, they believed you can't find angels in the first five books of Moses. Now, the word in Hebrew for angels is malach. That's the most common use of angels, and that you can find it from Genesis all the way right to, um, to Malachi. You have cherubim, or cherub, and a cherub is described as being uh, beings with a body of a bull with wings in the face of a human. Look at Revelation, right, chapter 5. Look at also Isaiah chapter 6. Seraphim, flying snakes of fire. Kudoshim, right, the kudosh. Remember we were looking at the kudosh on Wednesday night. Kudosh, what does kudosh mean? Holy, but kudoshim are the holy ones. Ben Elohim, sons of God, Genesis chapter 6. And then in uh, the book of Job, you see it four times there. The most common, again, is Malach. And Malach, uh, usually they are in human form, like you see in Genesis 18 and 19. So the Sadducees, again, only believe in Torah, and they believe that Torah doesn't mention angels. There's no, there's no such thing as angels because Torah does not talk about angels. Can I just show you for a second? Let me just show you a little bit of angels, and I'll just show you a little bit because if you would like, I could keep you here until 7 o'clock and we can go through every passage. We'll go through it in the Hebrew. So, Genesis 19.2. Now the two angels, Malak, came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Malak, the angels, again, the angels of God, the, the messengers of God. Remember the, in Genesis chapter 3, there are the three who appeared, right? Two of them are angels. Who's the other one? Yeah, it's a, called a Christophany or a theophany. It's, it's Jesus. So I guess the Sadducees must have just missed this one passage. Okay, maybe they, they, they missed it. Genesis 3.24, so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim. Cherub, by the way, cherub is, uh, is the actual singular, and uh, the plural is cherub. And it, it, should be, it should be cherub, a cherub, at the east of the Garden of Eden, and the flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Genesis 22:11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. By the way, the angel of the Lord is mentioned throughout Torah. I believe the angel of the Lord is not speaking about a literal angel, but about Jesus. Again, a Christophany or a theophany of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 32, 1 and 2, so Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God, the Zeh Elohim, the army of angels, met him. He sees this whole army of angels in this camp, and he said, this is God's camp, and he called the name of the place Mahanaim. Exodus 33, 2, and I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorite, the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. That word there is Malak. So they, they hear 
are not only ignorant, right, of just believing that Torah, right, is the only inspired word of God in Tanakh, but they are also greatly mistaken and ignorant because apparently they have ignored a whole lot of scriptures right there in Torah that talk about angels. There's a, 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 a quote, for those of you who study, I'm sure you're hearing this, I heard this over and over again when I was in Bible college and seminary, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. You want to kind of get that down. You got to get it and think about it a little bit. In other words, a scripture read without thought to the surrounding verses is easily mistaken, misconstrued. So, so every word of God, okay, every word is basically in the context of a verse. Every verse is in the context of a chapter. Every chapter is in the context of a book. Every book is in the context of the testament. And every testament, the two, is in the context of the entire Bible. You cannot interpret scripture by popping out a verse. That's typical, again, of false teachers and of cults. They pop a verse out to make it mean what they want while they ignore the rest of scripture. Why do we teach the way we teach here at Living Word? And if you're new to Living Word, you may be wondering, why does this guy use so much Scripture? Because we interpret Scripture with Scripture. Okay, It's not me here giving you a verse and then blabbing on for 40 minutes about what I think. It is the Scripture, the Word of God, interpreting Scripture. Look. 1 Corinthians chapter 2.13, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You're constantly comparing the context when you're in a verse, when it could be looking, it could be a word, it could be a chapter, it could be a book. You have to be able to interpret that in light of the entire scripture, of the other 66 books. That's why it's vital you're studying the scriptures, reading through the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, and you study the entire word of God. Not just the little verses that you like, or the books that turn you on and get you excited, but the entire word of God all the way from Genesis to the book of the Revelation. So again, the Sadducees here, right, they didn't do that. Do you know who did it? The apostles. Why do I teach and preach the way that I do? Because it's the way the apostles preach and teach. And you can see that in the book of Acts from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 28. They were continuously referring to the Old Testament passages to affirm the resurrection of Jesus, the death of Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah over and over again. So again, the Sadducees here, they're ignorant because they have rejected three quarters of the Tanakh they reject their belief in angels, they reject their belief in the resurrection, and they reject their belief in the afterlife. So they're ignorant of the scriptures. Then, he says, but you are also ignorant of the power of God. You're not only ignorant of the scriptures, but you're ignorant of the power of God. The power of God is always connected in scripture to who? To the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit. The, the power of God is in, in our lives is always connected with the Spirit. 
in Acts chapter 1-8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You shall receive the dunamis power when the hagios pneuma, the Holy Spirit, has come upon you. He is the power source of the Christian life. He is the power source for our victory. He is the power source for our success. He is the power source that teaches us the very word of God. And guess what? The Sadducees did not have the power of God. They did not have the Holy Spirit in their lives. You see, you see a, a, a short time later, when Stephen is being stoned, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, right? Paul the Pharisee is there. Look at what, look what Stephen says to them. You men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. He's speaking to Sadducees here. They resist the Holy Spirit. They do not have the Holy Spirit in their lives. They, they essentially, they are spiritually dead. Leaders leading Israel. I don't know if, the, if I sound passionate about this because when I see spiritually dead people leading the church of Jesus Christ, it really bothers me. And there are a whole lot of them in this time. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritually dead person. They don't have the spirit. They come into church. The word of God is being preached. It's just foolishness to them. They don't get it. I'm not getting this. It's because they're spiritually dead. And the Sadducees were spiritually dead. And that's a scary thing to me. And it's a scary thing when I look today at leaders. Just like the Sadducees. They deny the Trinity. They deny that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through Him. They, they deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They deny the deity and personality of the Holy Spirit. They deny the second coming of Christ. They deny the virgin birth. By the way, that's very common today. It's very common. It's not just, it's not just the mainline liberal Episcopalian or Reformed Church. It's, it's penetrated into evangelical churches, charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches. So the Sadducees, they, they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I just want to... I know what some of you are thinking. I, I know what some of you are thinking. I know what Lenny's thinking, and Ritter. I know what Pastor Sam is thinking. Miguel, you're probably thinking it too. You're thinking, well, the Holy Spirit wasn't given yet because Jesus had to be glorified and raised from the dead. So, Pastor, how could the Sadducees have had the Holy Spirit? Well, you have to understand there, there is a relationship with the Spirit in the believers in the Old Testament that's a little different than the believers after Jesus died and was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and poured the Spirit out. And you get a really good explanation of this in John chapter 14, 17. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, and he's saying this to the apostles. This is the Last Supper. Right, the 11. Judas is left to betray him. But he says, but you know him. How could they know him? Hasn't been given yet. 
But he says, for he dwells with you. The word there, with, in the Greek is meth. He's with you. As he was with John the Baptist. As he was with Elijah. As he was with David and Moses and Joshua. And all the Old Testament saints. As he was, he was with them. But then he says, and will be in you. So they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but they had the Holy Spirit working upon their lives, empowering them, convicting them, teaching them, inspiring them, motivating them. We are in a very precious time that we can be the temples of the Holy Spirit, the very very temples of the Trinity. Read John chapter 14 and 15 that we could be indwelt with the Spirit which is of the same nature of Jesus and which is of the same nature of the Father but yet a separate person. And we can have the Spirit of God indwelling us. What a, what a precious... That's what Jesus... When Jesus said John was the greatest of all men the greatest of all the prophets John the Baptist but he said you who are least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than he. Now who, who, <laughs> who in the last 2,000 years is greater than John the Baptist? Right? Nobody. I mean, John, John was, was a fireball. He, he was totally committed. He was uncompromising. He, he was, you know, he was not a reed that is swayed by the wind, right? But we have an advantage in the kingdom of God of being able to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the Pharisees did not have the Spirit of God working on their life. They're spiritually dead. So in verse 4, he says, We shall, when we die, we shall be like angels. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. I want you to notice the word like. That's important. The word is host. It is not saying we shall be angels. We shall not be angels. You know, the, again, the dopey stuff through the centuries, little fat cherubs with wings sitting on a cloud playing a violin. That, that's not, we're not going to be angels, but it's talking about eternal glory, heavenly glory. And he says here, there will be no marriage in heaven. Why? The angels don't marry in heaven. Why won't we be marrying in heaven? Well, think about this, because in heaven no one dies. Did you say that, Faith? No, no, no one dies in heaven. Now we marry and we pre- procreate and right, we be fruitful and replenish the earth. But when we get to heaven, right, nobody dies. Now people are dying. So we need to replenish the earth. But when we're in heaven, there's no death. We will be like the angels in heaven. There's no need for marriage. There's, there's no need for procreation. What will we be like? I'll give you, I want to give you a, a little glimpse into 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 through 45. So also in the resurrection of the dead, the body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Now, I want you just to, to notice, just a little play on, the, on these words, right? We are in a place of corruption right now. No, how many vitamins I take, or how good I eat, or how much exercise I do, 
This thing is in a state of corruption. I'm, I'm losing cells, right, every day. They're, they're shrinking. They're dying and not being replaced as, you know, as fast as they would need to be. My organs are shrinking. I produce less hormones. As you can notice, the once rolling waves have become sandy beaches. And they talk about receding. You've got receding gums. You've got receding hairlines. I'm receding. <laughs> we all are. But we can be raised and we will be raised in incorruption. That is a body that does not decay, that does not waste away, and does not age. We're sown in dishonor. I believe that's a reference to, really the word is like disgrace. But I, I think what it refers to is human nature, the sarks, the sinful nature, the old man. That it's a part, it's a part of us. But we will be raised in glory. No sin, no sinful attitudes, no sinful dispositions. Sown in weakness, raised in dunamis, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Raised in incorruption, glory, power, a spiritual body. That's the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Look at, look at another, another passage. In 1 John chapter 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Not only like the angels, but we shall be like Jesus, for we shall see him as he is. Now that again, that is not saying that we will be like him as God. We're not going to be gods. That's Mormonism. Mormonism, you are going to be a god. You're going to have your own universe, basically, to control. And you can continue to marry and propagate. That's, that's Mormonism. By the way, it's not in the Bible. That, they added a book called the Book of Mormon onto that. And, um, but if you, if you look here, we shall be like Jesus. We shall be glorified. A glorified body. I believe the inner man, the soul, will be glorified. No more confusion. No, no more mental conflict. No more negative thoughts or negative emotions. Aimless thoughts. No, no more problems with our will in making decisions. We have a glorified soul and a glorified spirit. Perfect, uninterrupted communion with God. No more moments of forgetting Him, of losing sight of Him, of being blinded by His presence, of being distracted by the things of the world. Perfect communion, perfectly tuned in to Jesus. We shall be like Him. Of the night that he was raised from the dead, right, he, he appeared, right, first to Mary Magdalene, then on the, on the two, the two characters on the road to Emmaus, remember that? He went up to the road of Emmaus and he appeared, and he says he appeared in another form. He kind of morphed. And he's walking along the road and they don't know it's him, and then he sits down to break bread with them, and when he broke the bread, they knew it was him, and then it's boom, he's gone. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, he's um, a short time later in the upper room with the doors locked because they were afraid that the Romans were going to come and arrest them and crucify them. And there they are, right? Not only the apostles, but you have the, the whole, probably Mary Magdalene's in there and Mary the mother of Jesus and 
Martha and Mary are in there. Lazarus is probably in there. And uh, all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them. And um, it's interesting what, what, what transpires here. Right? By the way, he didn't knock. He said, you guys in there? He just, he just appeared, traveling right through time and space. Pretty cool. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands. Oh, by the way, let me just say something to you. <laughs> I was watching a great documentary last night, Christian documentary, about um, the Galilean wedding and how it fits perfectly. Carmen shared it with you here, how it fits in prophetically, how Jesus is coming real soon. He's coming real soon. You're really distressed about all the crap going on in this world, all the craziness going on in this world, all the stuff going on in this country. Just He's coming soon. Get ready for him. We're going to get to uh, prophecy when we get to Mark 13. We'll cover some of these things. And that'll be in the next few weeks. But he's coming soon. But in, in the movie, the, the scholars kept saying that the Galilean apostles, that they were getting it. And he, he was saying they were getting this. And I'm like... Man, I must be reading a different Bible. Because when I look through the Gospels, they're just, to me, not getting it. And Jesus is frustrated with them. And you know what? They're, you know, he's teaching them things, and, and what, what, they expect the kingdom to come right away. They're not, they, you know, they deny him. They desert. I, I'm just like... I, my, my, my wife was on the phone with my daughter Chrissy and my granddaughter... B and Rachel was there with, 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 little, with little Nathaniel. So there was a lot going on. Maybe I just wasn't focusing exactly on what they were saying, but I wasn't getting what they were saying. They were saying they were getting it because when I look at the apostles, I don't see them getting it. And here, look. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Even now, <laughs> they're not getting it. Behold my hands and my feet. That it is I myself, Right? He still has the marks. He's glorified. He's not bleeding. But he's got the... This a reminder. The reminder for an eternity of my love for you. Here. One, two, three, four, five. There's my reminder that I love you. I don't know what you're going to do when you meet Jesus in person. And people talk, I'm going to stand and praise him and I'm just going to fall down and kiss his feet. And I'll see those marks that were made for me. Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. He says, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He still has flesh and bones, but they are glorified bones and they are glorified flesh. They don't break anymore. They don't ache anymore. They don't hurt anymore. They don't wound anymore. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe, now they're, they're just so overwhelmed with joy. I mean, their brains are short-circuited. <laughs> and marveled, he said to them, just to drive this whole thing home, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. Honeycomb. Remember that? Honeycomb breakfast cereal. Honeycomb, here we go. Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate in their presence. And you know what happened? Or what didn't happen? It didn't fall through. (laughs) 
He was making a point. And for those of you who are foodies, I know some of you are foodies here in this church, you're going to be able to enjoy the greatest food that you've ever tasted and not have to worry about getting fat. <laughs> That's what we will be like. Glorified in body, soul, spirit, able to move through time and space. Pretty cool. All right, last point here, the fact. Let me give you the fact, Jack, okay? Here we go. 26, 27. But concerning the dead, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Notice again here. <laughs> Haven't you read it? Haven't you read Exodus chapter 3? You know, he's, he's insulting them. Because they're supposed to be the scholars. They're supposed to be the experts of Torah. Have you not read Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, when you're, when you're talking to somebody who is giving you some cockamamie, a story or argument. You ever meet people like that? Well, I don't, you know, I don't believe, you know, I don't believe in this stuff. I don't believe that. And I say, well, have you, have you ever read the Bible? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've read the Bible. Well, what about what it says in Hezekiah chapter 9-9? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's no such thing as Hezekiah chapter 9-9. Mr. Cockamamie. I've used, I've used that numerous times with people. They tell me what, you know, what they, they, they know, they know. I'm trying to listen. Jesus died for you to save you from hell. He died for you on the cross to keep you from going to hell. Okay? You put your faith in him, you believe in him, you follow him, you'll be saved for eternity and receive the gift of, a life, of eternal life. And all the things that I've just talked about, glory, glory. He died for you on the cross to keep you from going to hell. And if you reject him, you're going there. You're going there. Oh, but you, you know, what about, what about this? And they start giving you again this, this cockamamie. Hezekiah 9.9. 9. Right? You know that passage, right? Hezekiah he says to them here, haven't you read? And what did God say here in this passage? I am. I want you to notice that. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not saying I was. See, I was. They're dead and they're gone. Right? I used to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am. He shot holes in their no-resurrection theology, right from Torah and from Exodus chapter 3. Shut holes, holes right through it. That there is life after death. That there is life, life, life after death for believers. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And he says, you are greatly deceived. And you're great deceivers. Exodus 3, 6 I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. He is the God of the living. Elijah's with him. Enoch's with him. Gloria Caramico is with him. Don Kreitz is with him. Pedro Romero is with him. 
He is the God of the living and not the God of the dead. Think of people in your lives, right, who have known him who died. They are with him right now in glory. All right. I just have just a couple things to share with you again, wrapping this up from the word of God. The key, the key message in scripture about life after death is the resurrection. Really, it's the, the resurrection of the body. But the Bible also talks about the extended life of the soul. Jesus in, in John eleven twenty five twenty six. 26, this is a verse, you should memorize this. You're dealing with people in your lives who are dying. Maybe, you know, you're getting close and, and you're getting ready. You should memorize this verse. But Jesus said, really believe it. So when, when, when Lazarus died, he's speaking to Martha, and he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. But notice what he says here. He says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So he's not, he's not mentioning there about the bodily resurrection. He's, he's, rem, he's really talking about uninterrupted, uninterrupted life. Uninterrupted life. When a believer dies, it's not the end. All it is is the soul goes to be with the Lord. To be out of the body is to be with the Lord, my sister. Watch, watch. Modesta asked me this question right before service. When you die, right, the body then, when the resurrection of the body happens, will go up, but your soul, your conscious, you're aware, you will know Jesus. Remember when Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration? Now we know, now, Elijah was, was basically, he was transferred, he was raptured. But Moses died. And, and Moses, what are they doing with Jesus? What, what, what were they doing? They were chatting. They were talking. I think they were actually kind of encouraging him for what he had to go through a short time later on the cross. But they're, they're talking with him. They're, they, they know him. He knows them. And by the way, the apostles apparently, I mean, they'd never seen Moses. They never saw Elijah. But they knew it was Moses and Elijah, which was probably because Jesus said, Hi, Moses, how you doing? Hi, Elijah, how you doing? And Peter and John, right? They, they really, they, there's Moses and Elijah. They had to be, you know, they, 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 were, they were flawed. They were stricken with awe. But when a believer dies, the soul goes up to be with the Lord. Okay? When the Lord returns in his glory, the souls of all the saints will be with him. In fact, we'll be riding on horses, okay? But, but, but let me say this to you. We will have glorified bodies then because I believe the resurrection and the rapture happens before. It has to happen before that. So I believe in a, a pre-tribulation rapture. People believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. Some people believe it happens at the end of the tribulation. It happens real fast. I mean, it, it, I, I, don't, I don't know how that can happen like that. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an, of an archangel. And the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's all those who have died. Their soul is with the Lord. Their bodies then are glorified and they meet. Okay, that's the first thing that happens. Then we who are alive and remain 
shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the rapture. So the resurrection happens first. Then the rapture happens. And this is an entire generation of people who will never taste physical death. It's a glorious, glorious thing. So those who die in Christ, a great picture, right? There you see the graves opening. There go the bodies to meet the souls with the Lord. And then all the living believers on earth will go and meet with the Lord. You know who that promise is for? You know who that promise is for? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That promise is for all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe in him? Have you received him into your life as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe in him? Have you taken him into your life to be his follower? Do you believe in him? It's not a shallow belief. It's a core belief. It's the most important belief that you can have as a human being to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you should die, you will immediately be ushered into the very presence of God in heaven. But without that belief, there is no salvation. If you believe, and he does come back to rapture the church in your lifetime, you will not die a physical death. I believe, I really believe, that this generation is there. You see how bad things you're getting? He said that would happen. Don't be surprised kooky, crazy, evil in this world. Don't be surprised. He said it would progressively get worse. And then, in a twinkling of an eye, snatch! He takes us out of the world. It's the great snatch. The great rapismos. If Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, Take him into your heart today. Put your faith in him. Believe in him. And receive the gift of eternal life. It's the greatest decision you will ever make. Would you bow your heads? We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. And Lord, it's a word of hope. Hope, hope. It's a word, Lord God, of tremendous hope. That, Lord God, we're going to be with you forever. We're going to, Lord, have glorified bodies and glorified souls and glorified minds and we'll have a glorified spirit. And it is all because of your son, Jesus, who died for us on the cross and was raised from the dead. And I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody here this morning and you need to receive Jesus into your heart right now, just, just ask Jesus and say to him, Lord, come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead. And just receive Jesus now. The greatest decision you'll ever make, the greatest act that you will ever do.